We have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. That song, that verse, that statement, as you know, comes right out of Acts chapter 16. It's that part of Paul's mission journey where he had struck out on his second mission journey, as we call it, thinking that he would retrace the steps of his first one, which he did for a while, and then the Holy Spirit stopped him. He was going through modern-day Turkey and looking at all of the churches that he and Barnabas earlier had established and and continuing to work to evangelize others. And as, uh, as they did that, they were stopped, and they couldn't go where they wanted to go. And that's when Paul realized he had this vision of a man from Macedonia in the northern part of modern-day Greece saying, come over here and help us. We have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. As we go through this book of Philippians, we're talking about the place and the church that was established because of that call. When Paul goes across and finds himself for the first time in Europe, He goes to the northern part of Greece, which was the Roman district of Macedonia. And the first place he stops is the Roman colony called Philippi. We introduced this study last week, and we looked a little bit at some of the first part of chapter 1. And we said the joyful life in Philippians begins with the joy of fellowship. I've entitled this series, Living the Joyful Life. Living a Joyful Life. A life that is full of joy. How does that happen? Well, we read a lot about joy in the book of Philippians. As Paul instructs the church there and the Christians there about how they should live in a difficult time. Far more difficult than we're experiencing right now. Though we do acknowledge that things are difficult for us. But it was far worse for them. And as Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. He is in Rome awaiting his fate. He had appealed to Caesar, the emperor... Because he couldn't trust his own people, the Jews, to give him justice. And so he appealed to the pagan government to give him that justice and to hear his case. And ultimately he would have that opportunity. But while he's there for a couple of years in Rome, he writes letters to several different churches, including the church at Philippi. And he writes to them about joy. He writes to them about rejoicing in the Lord. As our shepherd, uh, Ken Culpepper, led us in our prayer today, he shared about us hearing at this time the word of God so that we could be better servants of his. I think that's exactly the purpose with which Paul writes as well. Paul then, after talking about the joy of fellowship, he then acknowledges his own suffering and speaks of the joy of sacrifice. And that's something that's unusual. We don't think of joy and sacrifice being in the same sentence. And one actually leading to the other. Or one being able to be experienced at the same time as the other. We would think that sacrifice would cause someone to be sad and sorrowful. And granted, as we read in Scripture, Old Testament and New, there was no denial of the sufferings that they went under. Nor was Paul in denial of his own sufferings. He had been beaten, he had been flogged, he had been in jail, he had been uh, stoned by his oppressive Jewish enemies. And now he was in jail not knowing for sure whether he would survive it or not. He didn't know if the emperor would say guilty or innocent. As we'll see today, he had a hunch. 
But all of that was still in the future. So a few things today about what joyful sacrifice does. How it helps us to live a joyful life. First of all, joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. Joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. We read from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to him? He's been arrested, and now he's waiting for trial before the Roman emperor for his life. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. As far as why Paul was in prison, as far as why he was in jail, why he had been accused, why he was waiting for this appeal before the Roman emperor, everyone knew why. There was no question. They knew that he was there because he preached Christ. Everyone. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. And they did that. And we'll come back to that verse in just a little bit. Verse 15, now he begins to talk about motives behind the preaching. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. He's talking about motives. He says there's a lot of preaching going on outside of where I am incarcerated, and some of it by people from pure motives and some of it by people with impure motives. Some of it are doing it so that the gospel can be shared and spread and people can hear and respond. But some, he says, are doing it just to stir up trouble for me while I'm in here. And I've always thought when I read this passage that he's probably talking about Christians versus the Jews or pagans, other non-Christians. That the Christians are preaching Christ with sincere motives and The pagans and the Jews are preaching Christ just to make it difficult for Paul. Because I guess their thinking is, if there's a lot of preaching going on out there, and that's why Paul is in jail, they'll probably beat him more and make his his stay in, in prison worse because of what's going on outside. And I think there's likely some truth to that. But I was reading something from someone, and it gave me a little bit different perspective. He talked about some of those who were actually members of the church at Philippi the Philippian Christians. And maybe they were a little embarrassed that Paul was in jail and that they're... Remember this, this is a very patriotic city. It's a Roman colony. It was founded by Alexander the Great and it was named after his father, Philip of Macedon. And named by the Roman emperor, a Roman colony. So a good part of the citizens of the people of Philippi were likely Roman citizens just like Paul was, which was also a status symbol. And so it could be that some of the Christians there in Philippi were uh, uh, worried about him when he was in jail there. And now that he's in jail in Rome, same thing. Some of those who are in Rome 
are certainly embarrassed to have this man who came. And remember, Paul didn't establish the church in Rome. But he's going through something just very similar to what he went through in Philippi, in Greece. And so it may be that some of them are preaching so that things will be worse for Paul, so that they can, they can maybe try to, try to help those who are looking at this and are thinking, this is not a good thing. Why is, why is your guy, your missionary, your preacher, your apostle in jail? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know what is true is what Paul says. There are some who are preaching out of false motives, some who are preaching out of true motives. Some who wanted to spread the love and word of Christ, and some who only wanted things to be harder for Paul and for the other Christians. And so we ask ourselves, well, what what would that mean? I mean, how would Paul react to something like that? And after acknowledging that difference, he says this, and we're amazed, starting in verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And we are shocked. We are shocked. We can't imagine that Paul would rejoice over someone's preaching Christ out of bad motives. Someone who was doing that just to stir up trouble. Someone who wasn't pure. Someone who wasn't true. Someone whose message wasn't quite right. And whose heart certainly wasn't quite right. And we expect Paul to say, I want you to know that Jesus knows which ones are right, and which ones are wrong, which ones are true, which ones are false, and he'll judge them. But he doesn't say that. Instead, Paul rejoices. Rejoices. And I think the reason he does that is because he thinks back on some of those parables that Jesus told you know at the end of the Gospels, Matthew 25, for example, where he talks about that end of the world stuff. And in all of those cases, when Jesus is telling those stories... It's not us that does the judgment. It's not the people that does the judgment. It's the angels. The angels come and they separate the wheat from the chaff, for example. They separate the good ones from the bad ones, the right to the left or whatever. It's the angels that do that. It's God who does that. What is our job? Our job is to rejoice. When Christ is preached, we rejoice. I think Paul is saying to us, you know, it's okay to be happy when the name of Jesus is out there. And we'll let God take care of the motives. You've heard me say many times, including in our Job series we just finished, I've come to believe two things about God. Number one, God exists. I believe that with all of my heart. And number two, what? I'm not him. And judging the hearts and motives of people is God's job, not mine. When someone needs to be talked to and shared with and concerns shared even, I'm all about it. But what Paul says is absolutely amazing. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Jesus had a similar thing happen to him that's recorded in Mark 9. A couple of the apostles heard someone other than their group preaching Christ. (laughs) 
preaching about Jesus. And they came back and they said, hey, you want us to tell them to shut up? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let them go. The one who's not against you is for you. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus was secure enough about his ministry and what he was called to do that he could let those be turned over to the Father. As we see our culture and our climate, our our kids that are going through so many hard, difficult things that most of us that have been through uh, with school for a while would never even dream of going through. As we see our culture turning farther and farther away from biblical values that that we believe that God wants us to have as a community and as a nation, as we see that happening, are we going to rejoice when we see others preaching Christ? I think we can do that without giving up our own convictions. I think we can turn that over to God and rejoice that Christ is preached and continue to rejoice And continue to preach him ourselves and to live according to what we understand the word to be. Yes, I rejoice because of this. And I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19. For I know, Paul says to the Philippians now, verse 19. I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We're about to hear the bottom line. What is the bottom line with you? What is the bottom line with how you live your life? Where your hope lies? What you say and what you do. We hear that mentioned a few times in a few different ways in Scripture, and we're about to hear one of them. And we've already gotten a hint from Paul what he's going to say, that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul didn't know for sure. He has a hunch. But he says, really, that doesn't matter to me, because either way, Christ will be glorified. If they put me to death or if they set me free, can you say Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that, my friends, is the bottom line. To live is Christ. If I go on living, it's going to be Christ. If I die, that's personal gain for me. (laughs) But if that doesn't happen, then they will see Christ living in me. Paul said that in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. He tells the Roman Christians, look, that he would write them a letter. (laughs) And now he's there and and he tells them, your body must be a living sacrifice. And he's doing the same thing and living it out right there in front of them. Jesus himself said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. And follow me. To live is Christ. It's another way of saying that. To live is Christ, Paul says. And to die is gain. There are several scriptures on your outline that talk about that heavenly hope that we have. That living hope, as Peter calls it. That mansion that Jesus is preparing for us in John 14. 
that ultimate promise that he will take care of us even after death. And that one day we will be raised and we'll live with him forever. The way Paul puts it in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, verse 22, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I hope we can all say that. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul says, I would much rather depart and be with Christ. And I know there's a lot of discussions, and I'm not completely settled on it, about what happens to our bodies and our spirits right after we die. I mean, are we asleep in the grave? Do we go somewhere, a, a, a waiting place that some have called uh, Hades, the good place and the bad place? Do we go straight to heaven? What, what is it? Well, we don't know the answers to that in particular, but I do take value in what Paul says here. If I die, I, that's better for me because then I will depart and what? Be with the Lord. So whatever happens specifically, we're going to be with the Lord and it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Just as he told that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says, it's better for me to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. As he writes back to the Philippians from prison in Rome, he tells them, I expect that I'll be released and I'll be able to see you once again. And as best we can tell historically, Luke ends the book of Acts before we find out. But from his history, we find that Paul was exactly right. He was released. It was somewhere around 60, 62 in the common era, uh, A.D., and and he was released, and he goes on, and he does some more mission work, and he does some travels, and he gets arrested again. And within about five to seven years after he writes these words, he is back in the same place, waiting to hear his fate from the Roman Emperor Nero. Only that time, the verdict is guilty, and he is beheaded for his faith. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, I can't help but think of Davy's wonderful thoughts and sharing those songs with us as we gathered around the table, as we thought about counting our blessings. Here's Paul. He's in prison. He doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's, he's had all of these things that he tells the, the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about. And if there was ever a guy that could say, I have been treated unjustly. I don't deserve this. It would be him. <laughs> Instead, what is he doing? He's counting his blessings. He's naming them one by one. And one of the blessings he has is that Christ is preached. Because of my suffering, there are people that are encouraged and emboldened to preach Christ. And for that I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. I gave my life for thee. The song said, what hast thou given for me? To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Finally today, joyful sacrifice increases the courage of Christ's disciples. 
starting in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Why? Because you keep doing this. You don't give in. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, Christians are not masochistic people. We don't like to hurt. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to be persecuted. Paul didn't like it. The Christians in Rome or Philippi didn't like it. But it was a reality. And when you're suffering for the cause of Christ, you rejoice. And you see it as a blessing and a gift. To suffer for the one who suffered so much for you. It has been granted to you, verse 29, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He was in jail in Philippi (laughs) on that second mission journey. And they saw that. And now they hear that he's in jail again for the same reason preaching the gospel of Christ. He tells them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word, conduct yourself, is the word conduct, but it's the verb form. And it's related to that word citizen or citizenship. He's basically saying, live like a good citizen. And he makes it clear in chapter 3, verse 20, what he means when he says, I realize that you all are, you live in in a Roman colony of Philippi. Probably a lot of you are Roman citizens. Or now, as, they're, as he's writing to them from Rome. But he tells them, as far as citizenship, ultimate citizenship is concerned. Philippians 3, verse 20, your citizenship is in heaven. And that strikes a really big message for us today, does it not? We pray for our country, we pray for our communities, we pray for our world. And we do what we can to try to help make things better. But underneath it all, at the ultimate foundational level, our citizenship is in heaven. The Christians who were in Rome, the Christians who were in Philippi, their citizenship was in heaven. And so how things work out out here is going to affect us and it's going to make our lives better or worse or about the same. And we pray and we hope and we work so that that goes well. But whether it goes well or not, and it was not going well for the Philippian Christians or for Paul in Rome. But whether it goes well or not, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we should conduct ourselves accordingly. Live as good citizens. Not good citizens of Rome. Not as good citizens of the town of the colony of Philippi, live as good citizens of heaven, Paul says. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then we look back to that verse 14. And this is what he says. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Joyful sacrifice increases the courage of Christ's disciples. Why? Because you can be a good or a bad example. 
You can be one who has courage and courageously stands against the flow and holds to your Christian convictions and holds to that call from Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever their values, whatever color they are, whether they're rich or poor, they're your neighbor. And when we love our neighbor as ourselves, the way Christ has loved us, it has an impact. And when one person does that, then others find the courage to do the same. When one person speaks out about their faith, others have the courage to do the same. Many of our young people have already started back to school. The majority of them will start this Wednesday. And I pray that you will have the courage to stand up for your faith. Speak the truth in love, certainly so, Paul tells the Ephesians. But speak and live the truth. Because Paul did that, others had the courage to do the same. Dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So a couple of thoughts as we close today. If you suffer as a Christian, the Apostle Peter writes, accept that sacrifice with joy. The word Christian, as you probably know, is only uh, found three times in the New Testament. That's shocking, isn't it? And yet only three times. Once in Acts 11, when it was first coined, the disciples were called Christians. First at this very contemporary, very culturally minded church at Antioch of Syria. Uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, when Paul was preaching the gospel to him as he was telling his story... It became very evangelistic, and Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian after one lesson, Paul, really? And Paul says, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would love for you to become a Christian today. And then the other is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, in the midst of the context of persecution and suffering. Peter writes, if anyone suffers, let him do so as a Christian. If you suffer, do it because of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was suffering. Because then you can respond with joy. If you suffer as a Christian, accept that sacrifice with joy. And a reminder again of the bottom line today. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That is our bottom line. Today are you leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus? I hope that you are, but if you're not, and we can help you do that by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or by responding as you hear these words of the courage of the Apostle Paul, the courage of the Christians in Philippi and Rome, the courage of the people sitting around you today. Perhaps it is inspiring you to say, I want to have that courage. I want to dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. If there's a way we can help you and serve you as you seek to lean on the arms of Jesus, come as we stand and sing this great hymn together.